You are now tuned in to the Storm Tracker Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Storm Tracker Podcast. I'm Marcus Benjamin, chilling with my guy, Frank Tucker, representing the crib, South Florida. You see his Twitter handle. Make sure you follow him on Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it these days. And make sure you follow us on this YouTube channel, live from Canes County. Also, make sure you subscribe to the website, canescounty.com, part of the rivals.com network. This podcast is also available on all platforms. And Frank, Miami finally comes up with a big victory over Clemson, 28 to 20 in double overtime. And first win over the Tigers since 2010. First win over Clemson in Miami since 1956. Both you and I weren't even thought of being born in those days. But uh, Miami gets the win. Cristobal gets his first big conference uh, win at home. It was a big win for the Hurricanes. But the surprise, surprise of the evening was the fact that Emory Williams was the starting quarterback and he was able to engineer drives, touchdown drives for this Miami Hurricanes team. Which leads me to believe that there is some kind of QB controversy. I mean, that's always kind of a fun topic, even if it's true or not. But if Tyler Van Dyke comes back healthy, which Cristobal says he is, I'm not sure how much we can believe that these days uh, or kind of trust what Cristobal says. Is there a controversy if Tyler Van Dyke starts against Virginia and starts to kind of have a bad game? Do you do you kind of insert an Emory Williams or you let TVD play it all out? So I think there's two different mindsets to this for me. My, the personal mindset, the more biased mindset is I want to see more of Emory Williams. I, I think – in the second half of that Clemson game and in overtime, he showed some moxie. He showed some, he showed some leadership skills that we haven't seen at the quarterback position at Miami in a little bit. I, and I felt like the team rallied around him. We haven't really seen the team rally around Tyler Van Dyke in that way. And I, I don't think it's anything against Tyler Van Dyke. I just think there's an it factor that Emory Williams brings to the table that TVD might not have. Arm talent-wise, I don't think anybody in the program – matches up with Tyler Van Dyke, but there's some things that he just doesn't bring to the table. He constantly stares down the receivers. It, it, you don't really see a ton of energy from him on a consistent basis. We've seen it a little bit more since Mario's came into the picture, but overall, it always feels like there's something missing outside of one game, really, and that was Texas A&M. Because even in like big games against North Carolina, where he threw for 490 yards and had a solid game. The offense still didn't score 30 points, and they lost because he threw an interception at the end. It always feels like Tyler Van Dyke just leaves us wanting more, and I don't feel like that was the case with Emory Williams. There was no expectations for him coming into this game. We, you know, There were people coming up to you and I before the contest saying, oh, are you guys ready to see Miami lose by 30? And <laughs> we, that's right. not what happened. That's not what happened. It's Miami Miami looked like a team, and, and honestly, I loved the approach of being able to have a run-first game plan with making plays off play action and, and, and utilizing the accuracy of Emory Williams, which he showed on the fade 
in, in a few different times in the middle of the field. So that, that throw to Colby Young after the Colby Young drop was exceptional. It was, that was a game-changing type play. And honestly, Miami shouldn't even have went to overtime. This should have been a game that Emory Williams had in his pocket in regulation if they don't get rid of the if they don't get rid of the safety. Miami wins that game probably 19-17. So overall, I, I think it was a great performance for Emory. Now the flip side to that is has Tyler Van Dyke done anything excruciatingly wrong to to be benched for a true freshman quarterback? that didn't have a great total game last week. It, I don't know if that's the case. Tyler Van Dyke is still someone that gives this offense a lot of different options in this air raid scheme of Shannon Dawson. The arm talent is some of the best in the country, like we've spoke about time and time again. And, and I do feel like there's a belief that he is the best quarterback in the program. That, that's why there was no quarterback controversy or competition at the beginning of this, this year, you know, throughout the spring and the beginning of fall. Last year, it wasn't the same case. It was Jake Garcia, and they were actually giving Jakari Brown a little bit of a chance. So, overall, I don't think that there's going to be a competition for this team going forward unless Tyler Van Dyke just absolutely comes out like middle Tennessee State against Virginia. But, overall, I would love to see more of Emory Williams going forward. I think Tyler Van Dyke has done a decent job at at quarterback for Miami, but if you kind of look at the opposite end of the spectrum here, you can easily say that Tyler Van Dyke is to blame for the losses to Georgia Tech and uh, North Carolina because the turnovers were ultimately the difference in the game in those two contests. So, yeah, I think Tyler Van Dyke is an overall better quarterback. He's more experienced. He has a better arm. Uh, he has better mechanics. But – and, and obviously, it's a very small sample size that we see with Emory Williams. But from from a decision-making standpoint, from what we've seen, Emory Williams can make a case uh, to be the starter. Uh, now, is that the direction they go? Of course not. Uh, of course, they're going to give the, the reins back to TBD, you know, once he's fully healthy. But that's the question. Is he really fully healthy? Was he really healthy uh, throughout this season because he had the hand injury. And after the North Carolina game, he found he disclosed uh, because we know Cristobal won't disclose any injuries that he had torn ligaments in his hand. And then, you know, he's, he's got his leg bandaged and, uh, you know, pretty, pretty look, it looked pretty bad um, as far as his leg injury. So, He's battling basically two different injuries. So he's not 100%. He may be 80 to 90% uh, for Virginia. So um, I'm not saying that they should start Emory in, in this situation, but the facts are the facts. I mean, he beat a Clemson team, you know, as the starter, Emory did. And this Virginia team that they'll be playing on Saturday, defense. I don't think as scary. So you could essentially win another game with Emory Williams should you choose to. So I I think it does put pressure on Tyler Van Dyke to play well. Um, and I like that in this situation because, hey, you know, if, if you stink it up in the first half, you know how Miami fans are. You're going to hear the boo birds. And that could cause – 
you know, people to influence a, a decision to uh, put Emery Williams in the game. I mean, not to say that fans booing would do so, but, you know, it, it will stir that topic of conversation in people's heads. And I do not see any reason why you wouldn't if he, you know, let's just say, God forbid, he throws three interceptions. Why wouldn't you put Emery Williams in the game? So what I ask you, Frank, is at, at what point would you put Emery Williams in the game? Saturday? It'd have to be a middle it has to be a middle Tennessee State performance. We'd have to just see him come out and fall flat on his face. We'd have to see something like he did against Georgia Tech. It'd have to be, like you said, a three-interception performance where he is just completely off. The body language is bad, and it, it just doesn't seem like he's ready to play. I, listen, is it, out of the, is it out of the realm of possibility? No, because we saw this last year with Tyler Van Dyke where he was banged up getting banged up throughout the year. And there would be times where he would come into games questionable or, or, you know, not playing the week prior, come back. And he doesn't look like the same guy. And you're either putting Jake Garcia in or Jakari Brown. So for me, I don't think that it happens. I think that this Virginia game ends up being a game that they, they win by double digit points, which we said that against Georgia Tech and it didn't happen. But exactly. It, it, but listen, Tyler Van Dyke, I feel, I feel like he, he senses – What's going on? Right? His draft stock is not where it needs to be. Uh, Miami is five and two, but Emory got one of those signature wins. He he knows that you know there's not a lot of time for him to be the quarterback that was once a first round pick in, in 2021. That that's not who he is anymore. And I feel like it, he knows he has to step up. And he's got two huge opportunities to do just that against Florida State and Louisville. Not even talking about the ACC championship if Miami were to get there or a bowl game. So I, I think he sees the writing on the wall uh, of what could potentially happen if he doesn't doesn't live up to expectations against the Virginia. And and I feel like he's gonna he's gonna be completely fine this week, and, and the quarterback controversy talk will be dead. But we'll have an interesting conversation heading into next year on if Miami needs to go into the transfer portal or not at quarterback. Yeah, I think they need to go into the transfer portal regardless uh, if, you know, if uh, Tyler Van Dyke stays or not, uh, just because, you know, um, there's no guarantee that Jakari Brown will, will, will still be here next year. So I, I think That's you true. definitely have to kind of go into the transfer portal just in case, uh, you know, a departure happens in in that uh, room there. A player that is ex- – Exceeding expectations as far as freshmen is Ruben Hurricane Bain, Frank. I mean, this guy is he's unreal, man. And he's 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 uh it's not surprising, surprising, but because I think we kind of thought this would happen at some point, but how quickly it's happened is what's more, I guess, astonishing for me and for the fact that it his really breakout game you could say was last Saturday against Clemson, you know, uh, the, the flag waivers of, of the ACC for the past 10 years. So Ruben Bain, man, I mean, what can you say about the kid? He's just been absolutely dominant. Um, 
as far as creating pressure, his relentless res- pursuit of the football, he could be not just a freshman All-American, but just an All-American if he continues on this track. He's got five more games to go regular season uh, to to make that case. I mean, what will we? What do you think we'll see from him against Virginia, man? Do you, do you expect an encore performance? Oh, I think I think we're seeing glimpses of, of what are an all-time great at Miami. Before the season, you and I told fans continuously that this was the best defensive end in the country. This isn't something that's new to us. This is seventy-seven sacks in high school in a four-year span. One of them a COVID year. He was the best player in South Florida, regardless of position. And that includes Jeremiah Smith and Brandon Ennis and, and, and all and, and Josiah Trader. It includes five stars on five stars, and he was the best of the bunch. And the recruiting rankings never reflected it because he was a couple inches too short. And we're seeing now that that does not matter. He's having an Aaron Donald-type effect on this defense. He has 29 pressures yeah. this year. He, he has the potential to end off the season with 10 sacks as a true freshman and and he wasn't even starting right away. Like I know he was getting heavy reps, but he wasn't even starting right away, but we're seeing what is the type of player that Miami needs to be getting out of South Florida on a yearly basis. This is the Dallas Turners that Miami's missed on. This is, you know, this is the impact players that have left South Florida to go to Ohio state and go to Alabama and go to Georgia and, and, and go to Clemson and go to all these places and shine and become first-round draft picks. That's what Ruben Bain is, and I think it's only going to continue. The Florida State offensive line, to me, is not elite. The Louisville offensive line, to me, is not elite. Uh, I think he has the chance to put up some huge numbers over these next five games, and he's, you know, the stats have already been posted. He has more pressures than five of the top ten edge rushers in this upcoming draft. (laughs) So, 10 of the best pass rushers in college football, he's already superseded in a way that I don't think anybody expected, even if you're a South Florida faithful. The kid is incredible. His ability to counter uh, with his pass rush moves, his ability to utilize that Reggie White hip bump uh, on offensive tackles, just getting them off balance, and, and overall just overpower offensive linemen from the interior to the to the edge is exceptional. Mario talked about how strong he got in the offseason where he was benching 400 pounds. I think he was squatting over 500 pounds. It, it, it was just a matter of time before he blossomed into the player that we knew he was going to be. And it happened a lot quicker, thank God, than, than it was supposed to. But now Miami has a legit edge guy. Obviously, Nigel Kelly injury is unfortunate, but the future is bright with him. Miami's bringing in multiple edge rushers in this 2024 class including Booker Pickett, uh, who yeah. I, is another guy with 70 sacks in high school. Uh, so overall, the, the the future of the defensive end position at the University of Miami is extremely bright, especially with Jason Taylor coaching it as well. Yeah, uh, one of those other players that chose to stay home is Mark Fletcher, man. And Mark Fletcher, and, and a couple of things, just want to make sure, Ruben Bain, ACC uh, Defensive Lineman of the Week and also ACC Rookie of the Week. I uh, just wanted to point out that he added that to to his resume this season. Looking forward to see more from Ruben Hurricane Bain. 
Um, but yeah, Mark Fletcher is one of those guys as well that chose to stay home and he could be back next week, coming back from, from an injury. The running game I think is going to be important in this game against Virginia and because Virginia controlled the clock against North Carolina, you know, um, and I think that's one of the big reasons why they were able to pull off that upset against Carolina in Chapel Hill. Unbelievable how college football just kind of is a roller coaster ride, especially in the ACC. Virginia is Miami's next opponent, Frank. Um, I, I think that is one of the big keys, just controlling the running game. But with Fletcher back in the mix here, how do you think this running back room kind of looks? And do you think AJ Allen will, you know, continue to emerge? Because he had his best game last week with those two late scores, game winning scores in overtime. Or will we can continue to see a heavy dose of Cheney? Parrish also should be healthy as well. I'm curious to see who gets the bulk of the carries. Who you think I think it's going to be I think it's going to be AJ Allen. We saw Cheney banged up in that contest. Seemed like a shoulder injury, upper body type injury. Uh, obviously, not a lot of Parrish in that one. Which I don't know if I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I think he's a good player, but. I think that the combination of Mark Fletcher, Don Chaney, and A.J. Allen brings something to the table that Miami didn't have in the backfield prior. A.J. Allen has an explosive ability, that one-cut-and-go type back that Henry Parrish ain't. And we saw it time and time again where he was able to break off runs and, and break tackles and, and, and give Miami hope, especially when they had to lean on that run game because of Emory, Emory Williams' youth. So I, I, I love A.J. Allen being implemented more and more into this offense. I, I think it was probably just a doghouse thing prior, and now he's obviously not in the doghouse after helping this team get a huge win uh, last week against Clemson. But Mark Fletcher's gonna get he's going to get some carries. I don't think that he gets close to leading the team in carries, especially his first week back coming off two different injuries. But I, I do want to see some of what he has because – we saw him at American Heritage. When he gets to the edge at 6'2", 225 pounds, he has deceptive speed. His ability to break tackles and stride off long runs is, is a game changer for whatever offense he is a part of. And I think that there were even some times uh, last week against Clemson where we saw guys break to the outside and get tripped up or, or taken down. And yeah. you and I were both saying to ourselves, like, if that was Fletcher, I think he's gone. So I hope we could see double-digit touches for Fletcher in some way uh, this week against Virginia, where you mix in Cheney, you have A.J. Allen getting a lot of the carries, and you use Henry Parrish more of a change of pace back, which is really what he should be at five foot eight, five foot nine, 190 pounds. Yeah, certainly would love to see it. Um, Miami's just in a good spot overall with their running back room. You got four capable backs who can run the rock. Now, with more keys to this game against Virginia, I think one of the best things to happen, not to Miami, but I guess for Miami, was the fact that they did upset, upset North Carolina because now 
Miami is totally has this team on, on its radar. It, it would be easy for a college football team to have a letdown after a huge win over Clemson. And you kind of overlook maybe a one, one win team going in, but they were able to get that win against North Carolina. And when you looked at the stats at that game, you saw that Virginia was able to convert eight of 18 uh, on third down. And I think that is going to be key uh, for the Hurricanes, really getting this team off the field. And whoever the quarterback is, it doesn't matter if it's Tyler Van Dyke or if it's Emory Williams, they have to convert on third down. That that will be a key uh, for, for this team. And I think another big key is just them starting fast. I think if Miami starts to take shots downfield in this one and really kind of open up things, I think it's going to be hard for a Virginia team to really come back against Miami. So I think I think that is kind of a key uh, part to this game, just the fact that Miami should should start fast, take some shots early, open up a big lead, and once you do that, you can start to pin your ears back against uh, this quarterback. Um, I mean, one of the big differences for Virginia, too, in this game is that they had a different quarterback. You know, it, it was Musket instead of – Instead of uh, Calandria at quarterback, um, Calandria, obviously from Florida, Lakewood High School, very familiar with him. Uh, but they ended up uh, with uh, Musket at the quarterback position. And obviously that paid dividends for the Virginia Cavaliers. So that that to me is really kind of a key, uh, starting fast, taking some shots early, and then the other thing is really just the same thing that kind of happened in this Clemson game is that is, is the fact that you turned the ball over uh, on your opponent and you were able to, for the most part, protect the football. Yeah, Emory Williams had that one pick in the game, but, but as Shannon Dawson stated earlier uh, this week, that wasn't on him. And I kind of thought that as well when – when uh you know it happened it looked like it was kind of a miscommunication on the route and and uh they were able to overcome uh that turnover so uh it was definitely kind of nice to to see Miami overcome that turnover and just win the turnover battle so I think those are kind of the keys uh, to the vic for a victory for for Miami in this one. You don't want to get into a slugfest, uh, similar to like the Georgia Tech game where you know everything is kind of on pins and needles uh, because it's a close game and 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 this this is a team this is a team very similar to Georgia Tech where they're an underdog at home and they they want to prove that this game that we're that we're watching here uh North Carolina Virginia was not a fluke. What are some of the other keys for the game for you, Frank? Keys for me are don't underestimate this team. You got to contain Tony Musket, who's the quarterback who's returned in the last 2 weeks where they got those two wins in, in 2023 so far this season. 
And they also have to be able to control Malik Washington, who is one of the best receivers in the ACC this season, putting up huge numbers over 700 yards. Again, 12 catches last week. Uh, he, he has he has like Tank Dell type ability. He's a smaller receiver at 5'9". Um, he could be like a Josh Downs for North Carolina, uh, you know, a guy in the slot who makes makes some things happen. More of a possession type receiver, going to average around like 10 yards a catch. But just overall, like we, we've seen Miami struggle against these types before. And, and it's listen, Virginia is going to get him the football. He's got over double digit catches in two weeks in a row. And those were their only two wins. And Tony Musket is now back. It was Anthony Calandria before uh, at quarterback, a true freshman. And that was part of the reason why I felt like they weren't finishing games. Because if you look at Virginia's schedule, this really could be a team that has three more wins on, on you know, on their record. They really could be closer to five wins. Uh, it, they, they lost close against James Madison, which is a team that borders on top 25 ranking on a weekly basis. They barely lost. Um, to Boston College, they lost by three points, and then they barely lost to NC State, lost by three points. So this is a team that is not somebody to sleep on, right? It's not look at Florida State the week after that. Um, so I, I know that they're going to try to control the clock, like you said they did against North Carolina. They had four ball carriers with, with double-digit touches last week. So that means that they're going to be a balanced approach. They only threw for about 200 yards. It was a very different offense with Calandria in there. It was kind of just chuck and, chuck and pray uh, with, with Calandria, and that's why they would have some games where they were throwing for almost 400 yards, but they would also have three or four interceptions. So we're going to see a different approach. They're going to try to not turn the ball over. Uh, they'll probably throw the ball 30 to 35 times and rush it more like 40 to 50. And, and I think that if they can control the run game and if Ruben Bain can continue to get to the quarterback because Cade Klubnick, was not a statue last week. Drake May was not a statue. And this defense was has proven that they've been able to get to quarterbacks that have a little bit of mobility. And I think that that is Tony, Tony Musket. He's, he had 66 yards rushing last week. Uh, he's got dual threat ability. He scored a rushing touchdown the week prior. So if they're able to control the run game, win the line of scrimmage, I, I don't think that Virginia is really going to have a chance. Yeah, I, I think Miami will control the line of scrimmage. I mean, there's nothing that tells me that they won't control the line of scrimmage uh, on both sides of the ball. It's really come down to really turnovers when it comes to conference play. One that once they've won the turnover battle, as you saw against Clemson, they won. They lost their turnover battle twice in games against Georgia Tech and North Carolina, which led to losses. I think if they can just control the football, they'll be able to control the line of scrimmage and they should have a controlled win at Hard Rock Stadium where it will be homecoming for the Miami Miami University of Miami. So we'll see how it all shakes out on Saturday night. Stranger things do happen. Miami's opened up as an 18 point favorite that has gone up to 19 points. So the the betting uh contingency is is going with the Hurricanes. And I'm not sure if they make that spread, uh, but it's possible. We'll, we'll see. Like I said, if they start out fast and Miami can start to pin their ears back, then I like their chances to maybe make that spread. But that would be a stay away from me for all my betting guys out there. Uh, 
But other than that, I mean, the other news to really kind of talk about, especially in recruiting, is the fact that, of course, Armando Blunt decided to flip to the Florida State Seminoles. Now, everybody kind of wants to know, will this be a trend? Uh, I think the win against Clemson was great. Uh, I think that kind of uh, it, it, it settles, I guess, fear of many future flips from the program. But uh, one player that keeps kind of coming up as far as maybe a possible flip away from Miami is Artavius Jones. Artavius Jones is from the Tallahassee area, uh, has visited Florida State uh, a few times, including last weekend. So do you think Miami holds on to Artavius Jones, their deep athletic defense, four-star defensive tackle, or should there be some kind of fear of a flip here to FSU? Listen, when you got six defensive linemen in a class, you got some room for attrition. Are there a number of natural defensive tackles in that group? Probably not. Not a lot of one techniques. Not a lot of guys that can be whole pluggers like Artavius Jones can. But I, I wouldn't be too worried about it. He did commit. He has stayed pretty solid through and through. Um I think the Armando Blunt situation was very different than Artavius Jones's. And overall, this Blunt was only committed for three weeks. It wasn't a situation where he was totally loyal to the program. There were rumors before he committed to Miami that he was going to commit to Florida State. And I think that some prospects listen more than others. And I think that Miami's continued growth along the trenches will scare players away from time to time. And with Blunt coming in a year early, there might not have been that immediate playing time for him that he might be able to get at Florida State. Joshua Horton is a guy that this staff feels like can be a first-round draft pick, and he's going to have a much bigger role next year. You have Ahmad Moten back for yet another year. Uh, Jared Harrison Hunt, I think, has another season after that. So, you know, I don't see Leonard Taylor going to the NFL draft. I don't think he's had this season that – lives up to those top 15 projections in the NFL draft for the next class. So overall, I, I think we'll see. We'll see. I, we'll see. I, I just, I feel like with Akeem Mesidor and guys like that, we're going to see a lot more guys come back because if Miami hits 10 wins this year, if Miami hits 10 wins this year, that shows that there's potentially another step in the development of this Mario Cristobal regime that would need those guys to come back for yet another season, right? That, that, that experience and that depth uh, is needed to what needed when you're getting into the race for the national championship. So I think Mario's probably the best car salesman in college football. And I think that he's going to be able to convince guys to be able to stay an extra year. And I, I think Leonard Taylor could be a part of that mold. So, you know, he, yeah, he's kind of, spurns the process prior by not going to the to the big fish and he went to miami uh decided to stay home when when he did commit as a major prospect at a high school i think that he could shock everybody once again and decide to stay home and i think that there's going to be a very good defensive line group returning next season for miami especially with this 2024 class that'll be coming in most of them coming in as early enrollees uh also watch for david stone flip that's still something that's on the table uh, Oklahoma is not somebody I feel like that is going to go unscathed through the rest of the year. Let's see how let's see how some losses could affect that Oklahoma class 
And if Miami continues to win, say they get a win against Florida State and a win against Louisville, I think that Miami can get pretty much anyone that they want at that point. Uh, also, another guy to watch on flip watch for me, Ellis Robinson. He was down here this weekend. From what I heard from people, he is all in on Miami. And I think that, you know, there was maybe some miscommunication after the exit of Demarcus Van Dyke, but things have gotten back on track in a big way. And I think some of the glitter of Georgia has fallen off just a bit. Uh, you've seen some guys flip from them, including Nikar, who's actually in this class. And I think that they've missed on some guys. It's not the same Georgia prestige as we saw last year, despite them still being undefeated and at the top of the rankings. So overall, there are some flips to watch for Miami, not so much away, in my opinion. That would be a tremendous flip for Miami if they're able to get five-star Ellis Robinson away from the dogs and down here in Coral Gables. Uh, check canescounty.com. We have a story on the site uh, posted today uh, talking about the five stars and kind of where they stand. Of course, Miami with two five stars already committed to class with Saquon Patterson and Joe Shia Trader. The other uh, player that I wanted to, uh, that is on the site today is, is, uh, Ryan G, uh, the tight end from Milton in Georgia, not the Milton in Florida, uh, teammates of, of, uh, quarterback commit Luke nickel seems like it's trending towards Miami from, from, uh, what we hear, uh, what do you think are the chances that G um, is the next commitment to the 2025 class, which is off to a great start. I don't know if he's the next one. I think that they're, especially at that, after that Clemson win, there are a number of players trying to tap in with Miami. But Miami is still playing that 2025 class, except for guys that they are, that they feel are elite. So this could be almost a full class if they wanted to already. Uh, just, very early on in the process, but I think that he's probably going to commit closer to the winter, early 2024. I know that there are some rumors that he could commit, but when we did talk to him at the beginning of the season, there was a plan in place. He wanted to see all the schools that were at the top of his totem pole. He wanted to feel everybody out and then go through the season and kind of reevaluate things with like we lost Frank for a second there. Talking about the four-star tight end, Ryan G. Out of uh, Milton, Georgia. I, I'm really impressed with that kid. I, I think he would be a great addition to the 2025 class, especially after losing an Amarindo Blunt. Uh, I thought he was – he looked apart definitely in a game played down here at Western – uh, looks like Frank's back here. Let's see if he can finish up his thoughts there. Sorry about that tech, technical difficulties. But when we talked to him at the beginning of the year, he wanted to go through his process, see all his schools, and then cut things down to a smaller group at the end of the football season and kind of commit closer to spring of next year. Could that have accelerated with Luke Nickel being constantly in his ear and him having a really good visit the last week against Clemson? Absolutely. But uh, I do think he ends up in the class. Our prediction here at Canes County, I, I, I believe with Marcus as well, is that he yeah. does end up at the University of Miami with his quarterback. I just don't know if it's soon 
or if it's going to be a little bit closer to spring of next year. I would probably go with the latter. All right. Uh, that's pretty much all there is to kind of talk about as far as recruiting, unless there's anything else that you want to talk about. We can go into South Florida high school football. What are the games this week, and um, what the games should we be looking out for that have Miami commits or targets? Uh, listen, there are not many games this week. We are dwindling down to the end of the season. There is an interesting local match matchup, in my opinion, which is West Boca versus Blanche Ely. These are two teams that are pretty cross-townish. And Javion Mallory, who's a 2026 Rivals 100 running back that has Miami very high on his list, he could be a guy that joins that 2026 class with Malachi Tony and Kasani Giles. He is a 100-yard per game back, averaging nearly 10 yards per carry. He has Mark Fletcher type of potential, and it's interesting because his father and Mark Fletcher's father have a very close relationship. They both came up through the same Little League program, uh, very, very tight bond. When they were in the spring, Mark Fletcher actually took Javion Mallory on a tour. So watch for that there. Um, I'm not necessarily saying he's going to commit right now. It's just things are trending the right way in that recruitment. And I think that that's probably the game of the week in South Florida, where we are inching closer and closer to the playoffs, which, listen, I think this is going to be one of the more exciting playoffs we've seen in South Florida in a long time. If you look at 4M, it's a wide open race. Yes, Columbus is the top dog, but they've fallen two out of their last three games, I believe. So that means that, you know, are they the same Columbus as they were at the beginning of the year? Or is the Alberto Mendoza finger injury going to derail things? And then you look at 3M, you got a surprise Coconut Creek team going against St. Thomas Aquinas, as well as Homestead, who knocked off Columbus just a few weeks ago. Uh, 2M, it's going to be Miami Central, Miami Norland, and American Heritage. You can mix in a little bit of Miami Edison and Miami Northwestern, most likely, um, as well as Cardinal Gibbons. But I do think it's going to be American Heritage versus one of the top two teams in Dade County and either Central or Norland there. And then Shaman Hamadan is going to cruise to another state championship with True North potentially making their first run at a state championship appearance. So we got a lot of good football still on the horizon. Not so much this week. If you are in the Pompano area, make sure to go check out West Boca and JV and Mallory. They do have a number of other prospects that are really good players. Gary, uh, Gary uh, Hadley is the quarterback for Ely. He's a 2026 kid who's about six foot one right now, averaging over 250 yards a game, almost three touchdowns per game. I compared him to a little bit of a local LeVar Jackson type player. Both came out of the same area. He's a guy that played defensive back and wide receiver the last two seasons, including last year for Cardinal Gibbons. I think that he could be one of the breakout players in South Florida over the next two seasons with division one potential at the quarterback position. So go out to that one. It's going to be a really interesting game and a lot of good players on the field. Good stuff. Good stuff from you as always, Frank, make sure you follow Frank uh, at the crib, South Florida on Instagram and X. Make sure you subscribe to canescounty.com. Use the promo code Miami30 for the first 30 days for free. Also subscribe to this YouTube channel live from Canes County. Also follow this podcast, the Storm Tracker Podcast on all platforms. That's going to wrap it up for the Storm Tracker Podcast at the crib edition until the next episode.